Shalom, everyone. Welcome once again to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And I want to just greet you once again with a very, very warm welcome. We thank you for tuning in uh, today with us. We want to remind you tomorrow, October the 8th at 3 p.m., we'll be getting ready to close out the Feast of Tabernacles. So make sure you join us tomorrow at 3 p.m as we get ready to uh, close out the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the pastor, if you haven't tuned in last week at Feast of Tabernacles, it's a continuation. So if you missed it, I'm going to tell you, you need to go back and watch that so you can be updated with what he's coming with tomorrow because it is an extension from uh, last week. Now, if you know, we've been studying, the pastor has been giving us a series on the world's kingdoms. Today, we are on part 12. Also, stay tuned. After the pastor's discourse, I have an assignment for all our listeners. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to tell you now because it may take your attention away from paying attention to what the pastor is about to give us, but. Afterwards, you will have a chance in time. Um, I'm going to give you an assignment for you can either email it. You can drop it in the chat. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different today uh, with our Let's Talk About It segment. I'm not, we, we don't need to know your name or name your names, anything. We just want to our audience to respond uh, to the question I'm going to give you uh, at the end of the discourse. So be ready for that. We look forward to hearing your responses and everything. So with that, I'm going to, oh, if you have any questions also in comments while the podcast is going on and even afterwards, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com and we would try to get to your question and comment on air. Now with that, I'll turn it over to the pastor. Okay, thank you very much, boss, and we look forward to being with you tomorrow at 3 o'clock as we conclude the Feast of Sukkot. And what we are doing is a series, as he uh, had mentioned. And when we opened, we gave three parts of it. And, and now that we're getting ready to close tomorrow, we have the other four parts. Uh, we're dealing with the science of the Sukkot, science of Sukkot. And we dealt with three parts, and we got four more parts. It's seven all together. And so we want to complete it tomorrow with the other four points. So we're looking that you may be with us in order to share that with us. Now, what we have been covering in these lessons, 11 or 12, is we've been studying about uh, uh, the age of the earth. Now, the study that we are engaged in at this time, uh, we have never been able to say definitely that we understand it. And many people who are in Christendom, they perhaps don't understand this subject either. And what we're trying to do is to find out how old is this earth and where did matter come from? So when we consider that, uh, we're looking at the fact that Matter came from somewhere, or where did it exist before the Adamic age? Now, most of us 
what we have been taught is that Elohim created it, and that was the end of the matter. And we do not have any understanding about matter other than the fact that when somebody speaks about it, we say Elohim made it, and that closes the discussion. And there are those who investigate this matter and those who have merely said that Elohim created it, and that's all to it. But it's more to it than that. In our way, establishing the understanding of the existence of matter will help us to be able not only to understand creation and the age of the earth, but it will enhance our understanding of the kingdom of the kingdoms that was in this world prior to the Adamic age, for in order for there to be kingdoms, there had to be the territory for which kings established their empires. And in order for there to be an empire, there had to be land. But where where did it come from? And so we realized that this question has not been satisfactorily answered. So what we want to do is, is further pursue what we have been engaged in. So by the time we establish kingdoms on this, in this world, we can see that matter was in existence and where did it come from? So let us pray. And as we go into the scriptures, we can get a better understanding of where all of the created materials of this universe came from. Our loving Father, again, we thank you that we can be able to convene on this another Shabbat. And as we do so, we ask that as we discuss your word on your holy time, that we may be able to get the blessings that you have in store. We thank you for myself, my technology, my technologists. Thank you for each person who has tuned in, that the power of the Holy Spirit may draw our minds to the scriptures and your scriptures may draw our minds, O Heavenly Father, to your will and through the person of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the things that you have given your servants to write, that we may know your will. And as a result, we follow that will. And we know that your will leads to the kingdom of Elohim. So bless, keep, guide, and direct us through this study that we may be the better for it. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, in our last study, we stopped on the question, how old is matter? Now, let us continue <clears throat> this pursuit. Let us continue to pursue this question. If we say that in Genesis 1-1, now here's what Genesis 1-1 says. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Okay. Now, if we say that Genesis 1-1 is the first creation whereby Elohim brought forth and completed it, then when we look at this earth in Genesis 2, what do we see? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim, the Ruach Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if we could, if we draw the conclusion that as we looked at Genesis 1-2, then without form and void, 
and in darkness, apparently for this earth to be in that state immediately after verse one, which merely states that Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now, if he created the heavens and the earth, and then you read in verse two that the earth was out form and void. If we say that verse two is what he created, then such a reasoning as this would be contrary to what he created. Because the Bible says he created the heaven and earth. Now we know that the heaven and earth was in order. And then immediately when we look in verse two, it is saying it was without form, it was void, and it was in darkness. Now, do we call formless and void state a creation of Elohim? So if we look at something, it doesn't have form and shape and all of that, and it's in darkness, do we call that a creation? When we observe something that has no intelligent fashion or form, that is empty and barren and darkness, would not we say that that is a state of confusion? Okay, now let us let us turn let us turn to First uh, Corinthians and see what First Corinthians says about uh, this confused state of existence. Now, in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. And we want to look at verse number 30, 33. Now, the Bible tells us here in the 33rd verse of 1 Corinthians 16, it says, For Elohim is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all of the assemblies of the, of the Kodashim or the, of the saints, but of peace in all the assemblies of the saints. So the first part of the verse says, Elohim is not the author of confusion. So what we so what we see in Genesis chapter one and verse two is confusion. And the Bible says he's not the author of that. All right. So if he's not the author of that, we have to draw the conclusion that between verses one and verses two, there was something that was going on. Because we know that Elohim doesn't create things of that nature. All right. So we are told in the scriptures uh, that he does not create or deal with confusion and he's not the author of it. Now, if between verses one and two of Genesis chapter one, that we see such a drastic difference in them, we can draw two conclusions. Either Moses didn't record what took place as to why this earth was in a chaotic state, or he did tell us, but we aren't picking up on it. Sometimes we read stuff, but we're not picking up on what it is saying. So we got these two options. The two options is either Moses left out some details, or we just didn't pick up on what he was saying. So let us now go back to the word create. We want to go back to that word, because I believe herein lies the problem as to the age of the earth. We will title this section of our study, The Contradictory Conceptualization. 
the contradictory conceptualization. So when we look at the contradictory conceptualization, <clears throat> in a contradictory conceptualization, it is where we may conceive of a word, an idea, a person, or a thing which is contradicted by what the real true meaning of a word, idea, person, or thing is. So what we are saying, when we look at the word create in a contradictory conceptual way, we are looking at the word, but while we're looking at the word, there's a contradiction in the word and the way we conceptualize it. So when we apply the con con contradictory conception to the word create, we see how different from its meaning are our conception. So when we have a word and we have a conception of the word and then the word itself has its own meaning and then we concoct some meaning in our own minds that may be contrary to the meaning of the actual word. So in this contradictory conception of the word create, we will see this word as Moses uses it in the creation narrative to mean something far different from what we had conceived it to mean. We will establish both the assumed meaning of create and the actual meaning of it all through the ranks of Christendom. We are, there are Christians, scholars, teachers, and clergy who both expound their erroneous conception of this word. They expunge the true meaning of it, and we will start with the erroneous conception and then proceed with the true one. We will address this erroneous conception under the heading of the critical creation concept. So we want to look at the critical creation concept, okay? So let us explain what we're talking about when we talk about the critical creation concept. In the critical creation concept, what we want to do is to deal with an erroneous concept as if it were true, of which some may call playing the devil's advocate. So for many individuals, when they consider the creative narrative given by Moses, immediately what comes to mind is Elohim bringing something from nothing. See, the average person, even without studying or thinking, if you mention the word create, their first thing that they come to mind is that he created something out of nothing. That's the first thing they say, ex nihilo, something out of nothing. And I would say nearly every, I will say nearly the entire world of Christendom believe in the ex nihilo theory, whether they studied it or not. As I earlier pointed out, we are going to accept it as true that the word create means to bring forth something out of nothing. We do this because we want to see a full-blown understanding of this concept to logically pick out why such a con 
such a concept is not tantamount with the true creation account. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at creating something out of nothing as if that was true. So we're not going to first, at this point, we're not going to question the validity of it, but we are going to raise some statements that, which will put it in question. Now, one of the polemics we hear in which individuals say that Elohim created something from nothing. The word create is used, and when he creates something out of that which is already in existence, the word make is used. Now, so what we are saying, when we examine this reasoning, it is in question from the start. At this juxtaposition, let us closely scrutinize what it means to create something out of nothing and to create something out of that which exists. I want us to particularly to notice how it is phrased, okay? We want to look at, it, at how it is phrased, how people express it. When it is stated that Elohim creates something out of nothing, he uses the word create. Now, that's what they say. When, Elo, when Elo, Moses writes that Elohim created something out of nothing, he used the word create. And when he creates something out of existing matter, the word made is used, okay? When he creates something out of existing matter, he uses the word made. Now, the problem with this phraseology is that it presents from the start a double whammy. Now, the first whammy is this. First, if we say that Elohim creates something out of nothing, and then in phrasing the question of him making something out of existing matter, we say when he creates something out of existing matter, he uses the word made. However, if our conceived understanding of the word create means to bring forth matter out of nothing, how is it that we use the same word for both creating matter from nothing and creating matter from something? So how can you use the same word? If you say he creates something out of nothing, and then you turn around and say he creates something out of something, and you're using the same word, there's a, there's a contradiction there. It seems rather contradictory to use a word that means out of nothing to also use it to bring forth something out of what really, uh, out of what is actually existing. So how can you use the same word create out of something out of nothing and use the same word saying he created something out of something, okay? So the thing is, we have somewhat of a contradiction in saying he created something out of nothing and then use the same word, say he created something out of something, but you want to substitute the word make. Now, wouldn't it be better to say that when he brings something out of matter in existence, he made something out of matter rather than 
he created something out of matter. See, if you say he created something out of matter, that wouldn't make sense because you're saying that the word create means out of nothing. So if you got something that you are making something out of, you would not start with the word create. You would start with the word he made something out of something rather than he created something out of nothing. So that's one of the problems that we find with that. Now, in using the word create in this manner, it allows its assumed meaning to be at least logical to what is being said about it. So if we say, if we say he created something out of that which exists, that's in question. But if we say he made something out of that which exists, that would put it more logical because we are not saying he got it out of nothing. We're saying he got it out of something because the word ex, he, ex nihilo means out of nothing. So you cannot use ex nihilo with creating something out of something because something is there. Now, as we look at that concept, we want to make it logical. So he created something out of matter and in using the word create in this manner, it allows its assumed meaning to at least be logical to what is being said about it. However, if the word create is used in both scenarios, it presents an illogical usage of the word and contradicts the very thing one is trying to establish. How can one create something out of what already exists and say that the word create means make? So how can we make sense of seeing the difference between the word create and the word make? There has to be a difference between the word create and make because make doesn't mean to bring forth something out of nothing, whereas create means to bring something out of nothing as the way that many believe. To create something is different from making something. The word create cannot mean one thing in one context and when used in another context to mean something else. The basic meaning of the word must be constant, not not no matter where it is used, if we are to be true to its meaning. So whenever we use the word create, it must mean that no matter what context is in, it has a basic meaning. And if we are saying the basic meaning of create is to bring something out of nothing, then it should mean that no, no matter what context I put it in, the word create is to be properly used, cannot change its meaning merely to accommodate one's assumed conception. So if we conceive of something, then our conception has to be in harmony with what the word means. We cannot say the word means this, and then our conception is contrary to that meaning. In the critical creation concept, we find that the word create is used loosely. If, if, if in one sense it is used to create something, out of nothing, and in another sense, it is used to create something out of that which is in existence, we can't have it both ways. We can't say, well, in one instance, create means out of nothing, and another instance is mean to create something out of something. No, you can't have it both ways. It's got to be one or the other. 
one has to be true, another has to be false. This argument leads us to another area of the creative, of the critical creation concept. This section would fall under the heading of the critical creation comparison. Okay, we want to look at the critical creation comparison, and we'll probably close on this point. Okay. Now, in the cre the critical the the critical creation comparison. In this part of our study, we want to see if we can make a clear distinction between the word create and the word make. It is said that when Elohim brings forth something out of nothing, Moses uses the word create, and when he brings forth something out of what exists, Moses uses the word make. So to be clear, what we're saying is, Whenever Elohim made something that was not in existence, he used the word create because he was bringing out of nothing. But when he used something to make something, he uses the word make. So we want to see how this is played out in Scripture. Because in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Now, the word created was first used in this verse. That was when it was first used. And many people said when it was first used, it meant that the heavens and the earth came forth out of nothing. Okay, so that's exactly how the word is being conceptualized by many individuals. So in Genesis 1-1, when the word created was first used, it, mean, it meant that Elohim brought forth something from nothing. If we say in this particular verse that he brought into existence something out of nothing, then the next time that he uses the word create is found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21. So let it, let it, let it, let's trace that down. Because if we, we, we are saying in Genesis 1 1 that when he created something, everything came from, uh, from nothing. Okay, so let us let us turn to Genesis uh, chapter one and verse twenty-one, because this is the second time that he uses the word create or created. And then the Bible says here in Genesis chapter uh, twenty, chapter one and verse twenty-one, it says, "And Elohim created great wells of every living creature that moves, which." The waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. Now, now what we are looking at in verse 21 is that the Elohim created. So Moses is writing the second time that he's using the word create. He's using it in verse 21, and he said he created great wells. Okay. All right, so what we want to do is take an analytical look at this of, of what Moses is saying. Now, when we look at verse 21, Elohim created the sea creatures from existing matter. Okay, now, wait a minute. It says he created sea creatures and also the fowl of the air. It is saying he created them from the waters, okay? So that gives us some material matter 
that is in existence, there are at least two observations about how the word create is being used in this text. Now, remember the first text we had, it was saying that we had matter coming from nothing, but now we're using the same word create in verse 21, and it's saying that the waters existed, and he's telling the waters to bring forth abundantly. So let us look at the two observations that we can view verse 21 from, okay? First, there is the observation that the word create is being used to bring forth sea creatures and fowls out of nothing, even though he spoke to the waters to do so. So why would he tell the waters to bring forth this stuff, but yet he was creating it from nothing? Okay, it's, it's, it's rather illogical. Okay, but in this first observation, what we're looking at is what some may say the word create means out of nothing. Could we say in this first observation that when he said to create the sea creatures and the fowls of the air, that he created them out of nothing, then put them in the water? That's one, one way of saying it. But that's not what the scripture is saying, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to say that is one way of looking at it. Okay. Let's look at Genesis 1.21 and observe it a little bit further. If we say that in this verse that both the sea creatures and the fowl came from nothing, then this word create would be inappropriate, which would bring us to our second observation, okay? Because even though it's, we may believe that he is bringing it from nothing, the Bible is not saying that. And let's see what the Bible is saying rather than what we conceive it to be saying, okay? So that brings us to the second view because the first view is limited him to saying that he created something out of nothing and then he put it in the water. But we don't see that. But we're giving you the benefit of the doubt of saying, well, okay, well, he created out of nothing and then he put it in the water. Okay, and then he put the birds in the air. Okay, but in the second observation, that both the sea creatures and the fowls came forth from the waters. How do, how do we know that? Okay. In the second observation, the very text says that these creatures came forth from the waters. Now let us read, let us read what it says. Now, according to verse 21, it says, notice, notice the somewhat middle part of it. It said, which the waters brought forth abundantly. Hmm? That's what the Bible said. It didn't say he got it from nothing. He said, which the waters brought forth. In other words, he said, an Elohim created great whales and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth. Mm, that's interesting. He said, which the waters brought forth after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. Okay. So when we look at that uh, phrase in there, which the waters brought forth abundantly, it didn't say anything about coming forth from nothing. It said, which the waters brought forth abundantly. It is being pointed out to us that these creatures came forth 
from existing substance, which was here already. The water was already here before the birds or the fish came into existence. Creation in this sense cannot be ex nihilo because the Bible is giving us the origin of this of these creatures and the source from which they have come. So it's given us the origin and the source, which is the waters. He's told the waters to bring forth this stuff. So whatever the substance of the animals and the, uh, the, the sea creatures and the birds, they came forth from the waters because this is what scripture is saying. Now this is an indisputable fact. That's what the Bible says. It came forth from the waters. So this in, indisputable fact that material substance is what Elohim used to bring forth living creatures of the sea and of the air. This fact here changes the entire dynamic of the word create to, to be, to create something out of nothing. So if we are saying Genesis 1-1 is creating something out of nothing, then Moses is using the same word to create something out of something. So either is something wrong with our conception of the word create or something that we are not understanding because how can you use the same word with something not in existence and then use the same word for something that is in existence? So next week, what we want to do is continue to follow it down because once we discover where matter comes from, I think it's going to change the dynamic of how we see a lot of things in the scriptures. I would love any of the Father as we continue to search thy word and let it penetrate and to scrutinize it and to study it as a science that we may come to an understanding about matter. We've been walking this earth for a long time, but the scholars, the theologians, the clergy, the rabbis, the imams, and all of the religions of the earth, they have not tackled the question where matter comes from. It looks like it's a question that everybody is shining. They don't want to deal with this question. But we know behind this question is one of the secrets of life. So as we continue to deal with this subject, show us from your word where matter came into being. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh, before I get into asking the pastor a couple of questions, we want your participation in the next segment and let's talk about it. And we want you to email us or put the message in the chat uh, either way um, regarding what the scriptures means to you. So if you can email us in response to the question, what do the scriptures mean to you? Uh, we want your participation. Everyone that's listening, we're not going to disclose any names or anything. We're just going to read people's statements. So you can either email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. It's right on the bottom of the screen. Or you can put it in the message in the chat. 
and we want to read it and see what people's responses are. Again, what do the scriptures mean to you? Okay, so with that, uh, Pastor, so the when created was used, it was mean it was out of nothing, and when made was used, it means it was uh, referencing matter of uh, existing matter that's already been here. Yeah, that's correct. Now, on the first point that you brought out about uh, <clears throat> the creation uh, being out of nothing, uh, mm -hmm. that that's usually the understanding mm -hmm. uh, of way many understand it in Christendom, that the minute you use that word, mm -hmm. that means out of nothing, okay? Mm -hmm. So we are going along with that, even though in my research, it's erroneous, but we going mm -hmm. along with it because this is how the whole world of Christian Christendom believes. Mm -hmm. So let's go along with it and see how uh, we can deal with it. Because at the same time, you say that it was created from nothing, mm -hmm. and then now we 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 just showed how he created something out of something, and he's still using the same word. So it's a contradiction somewhere there. Mm. So it was more of it was something that he made from existing things that was already here. Right. But they still use the word create. Mm. So if you're using the same word for create with, when you make something as when you saying you use the same word create when there was nothing here. So how can you use the same word in this in, in, in the same passage of Scripture? One is used for nothing, the other used for something. It's got it's got to be an answer there. Yeah. So let me ask this then too. Uh is it possible then when when scientists say that is certain things here that is well over a million years old, is that possible then that some of the elements here in matter of this world are over a million years old? Yeah, that's possible. Now, I think we in one of the discourses, we brought that out. Uh -huh. That, you know, uh, it is possible that from the scientific viewpoint, matter is millions of years old. Wow. But then from a biblical scholar, they said from Adam on down to us is only 6,000 years. Uh -huh. And they both could be true. Because if you start with Adam on down, yes, that's 6,000 years. But what happened before Adam? Yeah. That could be millions of years yeah so but what we're trying to find out is exactly where matter came from see and and and, and this question hasn't been answered for christianity mm -hmm. even when you go to the seminary in the different places they haven't answered this question matter of fact i don't even know if the question has ever been you know i don't know if people even present this in their churches to their ministers or pastors or imams or or rabbis, uh -huh. you know, do they do do they know? Because most people stop at the point, like in the introduction of this study today, most people stop at the point that the minute they see create, they mean Elohim created something out of nothing. Boom, uh -huh. case closed and shut. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, I think with a lot of things, even in scripture, that. A lot of these ministers and clergy or whatever, a lot of these questions they don't want to be posed because their knowledge is basically 
to me, whatever they taught in the seminary or whoever taught them, that's basically their knowledge. And I don't think a lot of these guys really dig deep to question some of the things in Scripture. Well, that's exactly correct. But the thing is, is that we have to understand. If you don't know, you don't know. But we have to understand this. Because you don't know and you don't want to tackle this stuff, it doesn't mean it's going to go away. True. You're still here. So I'm saying if the Bible has the answer, why not get in there and see what the answer is? Yeah. I mean, it's right there. I don't think Elohim is here to stuff from us. I think he's there, but he says that he gives us the stuff. And he said, but the kings, they search out the matter. Uh-huh. A lot of stuff is hidden in the scriptures, but he said the king will search it out. So if we are the kings or the queens of the scriptures, we got to search this stuff out. Yeah, true. And that's the whole point in studying this and studying these scriptures and mm-hmm. everything is that we, you know, look at things at a critical eye. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I can see uh, we don't even hit the, a lot of these institutions and universities don't even hit the depths of studying the scriptures at all. You know, I, I think they just basically glaze over the surface because mm-hmm. there's a lot there when you when you start to tie in everything that's taught from elementary to the university when it comes to your English, your math, your sciences. All of those things are in scripture and you can study them more deeply because all yes, of it ties together. Mm-hmm. The language ties into what Yah spoke to create the DNA and everything else of the plants, of the, us, of the animals, and everything else. And then, you, you know, uh, the math, how he calculated to put everything together. You mm-hmm. know, so I think we just scathe the surface of a lot of the stuff that's in Scripture. And well, it, this is true. And mm-hmm. I think another thing, seminaries, they basically, uh, many seminaries, they only endorse their denomination. And, mm. and, and uh, when it comes to endorsing the Bible, they don't really even study the Bible. They may study uh, different authors and the history and Catholicism. And they study like Jerome, uh, Husk, and Zwingli, and all of the different pioneers of def- various religions. But they don't come to study the Bible itself. So mm-hmm. when you come out there, seminaries, is to have a broad view of what the denomination is about mm-hmm. rather than what the scriptures are about because they're not really in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's true. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, but I think that's why, you know, and it's just interesting because I'm just thinking, like, if you don't want to study here and dig deep into his scriptures, I feel that's what we're going to do if we get into the eternal kingdom. Look at Yah's library of all the books he's written to study, and that can take probably eons, you know, to study all of that. I mean, we we still scathing the surface of just the scriptures alone. Mm-hmm. And all, so I can only imagine uh, what it would be like in the eternal kingdom. Now, is it possible that 
our minds maybe it's probably going to be different from here. I do think they are where we'd be able to comprehend a lot more. And I even think our minds can comprehend a lot more than what we do here on this planet. You know, you know, well, see on this, while we here, we, there's what you call a study in psychological salvation mm-hmm. and in psychological salvation. That's what a man expands to understand, you know, uh, his word. Mm-hmm. But once we get over into the new world, we're going to have psychological glorification. Mm-hmm. Our minds are going to be glorified. And when you have a glorified man, that means that your man is sinless. See, while we are here, even under salvation, we got a sinful man. Mm-hmm. But when they, we get there, our minds are going to be pure. And we're going to discern a lot more faster and quicker and a lot more deeper in the world to come. But still in this present world, we can still see our psychological salvation where we can still penetrate his word to be able to get the essence of what we need in order to receive psychological glorification. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, we will transition over to our next segment. And Mm -hmm. as I said, uh, we want your participation this week. We asking that you will, Email or drop a message in the chat what the scriptures mean to you, you know. And with that, we head to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So in this week in Let's Talk About It, as I said earlier, I want to talk about what the scripture means to you as well as to me and to the pastor. And one of the verses that I feel that... a um, applies to what the scripture means to me is Hebrews, the 10th chapter and verse 16. So if you have your Bibles or you can just look at the screen, uh, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. And it reads, this is a covenant that I will cut with them after those days, says Yahuwah. I will put my Torah into their hearts and in their minds will I write it. That is partly what sums up for me the scriptures mean to me because um, Yah writing his Torah on my heart and in my mind that I want to live out his Torah and do the things that he wants me to do. Also, I look at the what the scriptures mean to me. They are a lifestyle. They are a roadmap to the eternal kingdom for me. They are the keys to how Yahuwah wants us to live our lives. These are some things that I believe are what the scripture means to me. It's not about scriptures are not about religion. They're not about any organization. A lot of organizations and religions would try to say that the scriptures refer to them, but all they do is just take a little piece that they want and run with that and just dump the rest and say, oh, the rest is irrelevant. And their main argument is what we always hear was nailed to the cross and done away with, which we know as we study that we see that is not true. So for me, the, the meaning is a lifestyle that Yah has put for us to live a roadmap of to the eternal kingdom 
and the keys of how we should live a successful life under Yah in anticipation for the eternal kingdom. So with that, Pastor, what do the scriptures mean to you? Well, when I consider that question, what the scriptures mean to me, uh, it overlaps in some of the things that you've already articulated. But it means to me a better life in this present world as we mm. prepare for the world to come. Uh-huh. And what, I, what I've discovered in Scripture is that every legitimate means of living, the principles can be found in the Bible. Uh-huh. And when we look at any facet of life, it be, be it eating, drinking, dressing, courtship, love, marriage, or anything, all of these things have laws to determine them. Uh-huh. And the Bible teaches us those basic laws in every area of life. And as we study those laws, it helps us to put them in practice to have a better form of life. Uh-huh. And as we have a better form of life here, that means when we graduate from the earth to eternity, we'll continue to study these laws that govern life. And as we are in eternity, and we began to study the laws of eating, the laws of uh, agriculture, and all of the laws that he has put in this world, they're going to be in the next world, mm-hmm. and we'll continue to study these laws. Mm-hmm. So what uh, the scriptures mean to me is a way of life, and that way of life leads to eternity. Mm-hmm. And if man had first govern himself by those laws rather than break those laws, we wouldn't be here discussing that today. But as we discuss those laws, it enhances our life. And as it enhances our life, we look forward to the eternal existence of these same laws. They're not going to be anything different. Uh-huh. They're going to be the same laws, but they, they, they just be laws that we haven't broken once we get into the new world. Uh-huh. So what it means to me is a better way in this life as we prepare, as we prepare for the life to come. Let me ask this: uh, Do you think a lot of religions ask themselves what the scriptures mean to them? Well, that's a two—that's a twofold question. Because when you say these religions, mm-hmm. see, Elohim never gave a religion in the first place. Okay. He's never gave a religion. Religion, all religions, I don't care what it is, all religions are man-made. Uh-huh. Elohim, nowhere, according to the Bible, if you say six or six books or go to the secret Bible and have more books, the Bible never says from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, he never said he gave man a religion. Uh-huh. Religion is, is man-made. Uh-huh. So when you deal with a religion, uh, you're primarily dealing with something man-made, and once he makes it, he wants you to live up to the teachings that they have around the scriptures rather than the scriptures themselves. And so that's why you have a a religion. Okay, now, if you consider uh, the fact that religions... Now, what was the other part of your question? Uh, Do religions uh, really state what uh, the scriptures mean to them, really? Is that kind of Uh, part of their doctrine, really? Okay, now... Now, and and that part of the question is, uh, religions can incorporate true principles, Uh but they have a lot of things that are not true to the Bible, Uh 
but it may be true to their organization mm, because okay. that's how they got started. Okay, so if you if if you you take a if you take a religion and they say, well, uh, the Bible says you have to be baptized. Well, they're telling the truth. That's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Okay, but if you take a religion and it, and it, and it says that you have to uh, <clears throat> not only get baptized, but you have to follow the teachings of their denomination. And one of the teachings may be that you have to keep Sunday as a sacred day. Uh -huh. But we know that Sunday has never been a sacred day in the Bible, yeah. only the seventh day. So that would be according to your religion. Mm. That's not according to the Bible. Now, baptism is okay, but the Sunday keeping is not because it's not found in the Bible. So what we are basically saying is religion is not built around what Elohim is saying. See, what Elohim gave to us was a covenant, and that covenant embraced everything that he wants. But a religion embraces what Elohim wants and also what man wants. Uh -huh. What does man want? Well, it's obvious what he wants. He wants Christmas. He wants Easter. He wants to eat anything that he wants. He wants to dress anyway and say what you said earlier. Everything has been nailed to the cross. So uh, that's their religion. If your religion is teaching you that since he died on the cross, you can go ahead on and eat pork. Uh -huh. You can go on, go on and dress the way that you want to dress. And you can go on and believe in false doctrine. If that's what your religion teaches, that's what it's going to teach. But it certainly would not get you the type of life that the Bible wants you to have. Because in his covenant, he tells you what he wants. But religion does not do that. So can we say then that the scripture would mean nothing to someone who puts religion over the scriptures of what Yah wants us to do, even though they will argue and say that um, I'm doing what's right, but are they really just throwing out the scriptures? Well, in, in, in reality, is but let's look at it from the same way. Uh, let's look at the uh, Romanism, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh -huh. They tell you up front, and they don't make no qualms about it. And so what I'm speaking now is not something I'm making up. It is not something that I'm trying to put them down on, but I'm talking about something that they'll tell you to your face. Uh -huh. It is written in their literature that they put tradition over their Bible. Wow. They, they, they tell you that. I mean, it's nothing. I make it up. You can, you can check it out with them. Uh -huh. They say if it, if, if it comes to uh, what the Pope says over the word of Elohim, uh -huh. they take that first. Wow. So if they take, take, take that first, either the scriptures does not have first place with them. Okay. Uh -huh. And again, we go back to religion. That's what religion has done. It's taken, it has taken uh, tradition to put over the Bible. Now, many people, even in the Protestant, you know, in, 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 in the world of Christendom, you have, you have Catholics and what? Protestants, right? Uh -huh. Okay. What is a Protestant? A Protestant is a person who protests. What are they protesting? They are protesting anything that is not according to the word. Uh -huh. And this is what Martin Luther was saying. He was saying that a lot of things in the Catholic Church was not according to the word. And that's how the Lutheran religion formed. Okay. But if you're saying you got the Protestants 
and you got the Catholic, and the Catholics are saying they're putting tradition over the Bible, and you're saying you are Protestant, you protest against those traditions, but yet while you're protesting against the traditions, you are still keeping erroneous things that the Catholic Church has given you. You're saying you're a Protestant, so you must have stopped protesting because one of the main things that they have given to Christ Christendom mm -hmm. is Sunday keeping. And they'll tell you, they said, the Bible didn't give it to you. They said, we gave it to you, so why are you following us? Oh. They said, they're, they said they'll point out that there are only two so-called religions that don't follow us on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm is the Jews and the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh -huh. so, so you say, why is that? They said, because we gave it to you. Now, isn't this what Yeshua was saying in the Bible to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He said, you have made your traditions above the word of Elohim. So when we look at uh, religion, and they are still following error, they have, they, it's not only the Catholic Church that has put tradition over the Bible, it is also the Protestant churches as well, because they're not following what's in the Bible, they are following what their religion is doing. And a lot of what they follow in their religion doing is what the Catholic Church is doing. And what the Catholic Church is doing is what the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Yeshua, they were putting their traditions over the Bible. Mm. But, you know, it's interesting because as you speak on traditions, and I think about every single religion on this planet, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Judaism, Islam, even Christianity, and the various parts of Christianity. They all practice traditions. Mm -hmm. Every single I want have some type of tradition that is not even spoken of in Scripture right. that they do. And it's like you said, they put a lot of those things over what we are to do. You know, and I look at the Scriptures as our guideline. But I think if we don't get in there and study, we would find ourselves locked into to traditions like all these other uh, religions and everything else. You know, I think every person in whatever the congregation, assembly, whatever the case may be, should be studying and reading on their own than just going weekly to a service and basically listen to what the minister is just saying and then going home. It's like, Oh yeah, that minister spoke, but then really dig into the scripture. And a lot of times they say it's stuff that a lot of these ministers are regurgitated over and over again, you know, but mm -hmm. it's just tradition that they so locked into. But I wonder why is it so hard to maybe even break traditions? Is it because the social factor, uh, um, being possibly ostracized. Oh, it, those those are those are all factors, but we, we must we must also look at it from the from the standpoint of the fact that even we who practice truth, mm -hmm. it's still tradition, but mm -hmm. the tradition is truth, not error. Okay. Okay. So uh, even for those of us who practice uh, true traditions, it would be hard for us to break away to the false tradition because we have ingrained ourselves to the true. Uh -huh. So the same thing is with people who got the false tradition, it's hard for them to break false tradition as it is for us to break true once we get established in there. Uh -huh. 
So when we look at Elohim, what are some of the traditions he have? Well, well, we know one thing that he creates the heavens and the earth. And every time we see that sun comes up and that sun goes down, what do we see? We see consistency. Uh-huh. And when we see that consistency, we know that he's Elohim because if we couldn't predict when that sun was coming up, going down, if it comes up one day and three or four days from there and you didn't see it, or what I'm saying, basically, if it didn't come up and go down each day, sometimes you do have a cloudy day. Uh-huh. We would say, you know, can I really trust Elohim? You know, because he looked like he just do things when he get ready and if there's no consistency. But no, every day we're going to see that sun come up and come, come, come down. Yeah. What is another tradition that Elohim has? Well, he said in his word, he says it's always going to be springtime. It's going to be summertime, fall, and winter. And ever since the world has been here, do not we have all the changes of the seasons of the year? Yeah. And that, that, that's tradition, but it's in truth. So when we look at people who are practicing traditions that are contrary to the Word of God, then what we are looking at is that they have been molded by a set of false principles that they have become adjusted to. It's like the average person that keeps Christmas. Uh-huh. They, are, they are so stuck on Christmas that even if you told them the truth, uh, that would not be a truth for them because uh-huh. they have been brought up with that thing for so long uh-huh. and enjoying the lights and the Christmas tree and the gifts and stuff that they would feel that you're not giving them anything. You are taking something so, so meaningful to their life that they would feel that what you're telling them is untruth. Uh. And so this is why that when we speak to people, uh, try to let them see what the Bible says, it is very necessary that the Holy Spirit be there because there are layers of traditions that man just cannot break through to the human mind. Wow. It, it, it is so deep within in the person. It is so deep within our civilization. It is so deep within the thinking of the entire world that people are saying, well, if I've been doing it all this time, then I don't see how come it ain't, ain't wrong because Elohim would have stopped it. Well, mm-hmm. no, Elohim is not going to stop everything that is wrong because if he did that, number one, you wouldn't have no wrong if he did that. Mm-hmm. He lets you make your choice. And your choice, even though it may have gone on a long time in your life and you see the truth, if the power of the Holy Spirit can get in, he can change it. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Uh-huh. The Apostle Paul actually thought that the followers of Yeshua, that they were actually false followers. That's what he believed. Uh-huh. And he was a Pharisee. But then when Yeshua on the road of Damascus struck him down and showed him who he was, Paul had been studying about him, but he hadn't put Yeshua in his proper place then he understood who struck him down on, on, on the road. And out of all of the traditions that he had from the Pharisees and being taught by Gamaliel and some of the great expounders of the law, he recognized that Yeshua was the one that was behind all of this and that the people that he was persecuting were actually the true followers. So sometimes it takes a supernatural intervention for people who are sincere but hold on to traditions, Elohim may can get them 
But for people who are sincere and when you present truth, they don't have anything to sever them from the wrong tradition to the right. Sometimes they just continue to go on that same path. So this is why I continue to emphasize you have to pray for people. And most of all, pray for the spirit that he may be able to penetrate the layers of tradition in the minds of civilization and the world and individuals to break uh -huh. through that and to be able to reveal truth to them and you make and get to them. But like you said, some, the people don't want to study. They want to just follow leaders and leaders just want to follow where the money, if the money is coming in for false tradition, they, they appreciate it. Uh -huh. and, 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 and I've even noticed that it used to be a time when a lot of, a lot of uh, preachers, they didn't preach tithe. Uh -huh. And then when they saw that they could make money off of preaching tithe, they said, well, you know, let's preach tithe because we can get more money. <laughs> but see, the motivation was not to preach tithe because the Bible was teaching it, but uh -huh. they was wanting to preach it because they can get more money in the coffin. I mean, we all do want to get more money, but that shouldn't be the motive. The motive should be that Elohim said, do it, so you do it. Yeah. And so what I'm basically saying is that we have to learn that we have the power to study those scriptures for ourselves and the Holy Spirit can take our mind to understand the scriptures that the Holy Spirit calls men to write and we can understand it too and we can get past our traditions. But if we never study ourselves, if we always depend upon leaders and if we always depend upon our past traditions, uh -huh. we cannot get past those traditions. Okay. I have another question, but um, I want to get to some of the listeners' comments, and uh, then I'm come back to uh, the question. Okay. And one of our viewers, thank you for sending this in, reads, Greetings to the pastor and to all the Mishpachah in the name of the amazing Most High Yah. I'm happy to share what the scriptures mean to me. The scriptures bring such a happy and joyful thoughts. They bring feelings of calm, peace, and gratitude. They are more than just law to me. The scriptures are to me, are Yah himself speaking directly to us, guiding, teaching, encouraging, admonishing, and feeding us. Hmm. It is how he's chosen to care for his children until we see him in person one day. He has given us himself through his word. The scriptures actually encompass a plethora of realities for our lives. They inspire dreams, true success, spiritual growth, a life of abundance, a desire to love deeply, and an everlasting affection to walk the path that our loving Father has set before us. That was uh, that was really beautiful. Yeah, it was very, very, very insightful too. Uh, yeah. Very, very well, uh, very well said. Mm -hmm. And the next one reads. Uh, they are a revelation of what Yah has told us about himself and our redemption through Yahusha Messiah. They reveal how we can live a righteous life. Also beautiful. Mm. I totally agree. Yeah, that's tremendous. Um, so does living your life by the scriptures mean sometimes you will have to leave a religious organization? Uh, yes. And no, in a, in, in a way, uh, mm -hmm. no, whether you're in a false religion or even what you call a true religion, you're going you're gonna to have problems with both of them. But here's, here's, here's my take on, on that. Mm -hmm. uh, let, let the spirit lead you. If you follow in truth, 
then truth will lead you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes truth truth may follow the path that you may go from one church to another, but Elohim is taking you on a journey. And once you learn what's in another church, Elohim may say, you know, you learn the truth there. I got to take you to another one. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 you know, I'm not so dogmatic to say that as soon as you learn truth, you, you got to move on because sometimes where you are, it may be that if you share the truth with people that where you are and even the leaders, if you're not the leader, mm-hmm. that they may see light in what you're saying and they, they may can turn about. But how do you know that? Well, I always tell folks, let the spirit lead you. Mm-hmm. If the spirit leads you to leave, then leave. If the Spirit leads you to stay, then stay and see how the Spirit's going to lead you. Because we can't say in all instances that the Spirit tells each one of us to do the same thing. Every time we find truth, we, we, we leave. You can be in a, in a church that they can have a whole lot of truth. And as a result of having all that truth, it may be one truth in there that you don't believe. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yet they may hold that that truth up to be uh, the number one truth. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, again, I said, let the, let the Spirit lead you. If you know what truth is and you found an organization that is lining up with the truths that you espouse or the truths that you believe, mm-hmm. then I would say go with that. And if you're in a place that the truth is not being lifted up and they don't want to lift the truth up, uh-huh. Then, if the spirit leads you to, to leave, I would I would get out of there in a hurry. So, without being dogmatic or judgmental, uh-huh. I'm saying if you know that the Holy Spirit is giving you intuition and and insight and inspiration, go where the Spirit wants you to go. You know, it's interesting because I think about. Uh, not only to your story that you've told me, but also mom's story that she told me countless times about how her whole thing was she wanted to live right by Yahuwah. And if that means she had to leave an organization to do right, she would. And she would tell me like she started off in the Sunday church. And from, from the Sunday church, someone witnessed to her and told her about Shabbat, the Sabbath. And she accepted the Sabbath. And I remember she even told me that when she became a Seventh-day Adventist, she said that at the time she felt Seventh-day Adventism was right. But if something else, more truth came about, she had no qualms and no problems with leaving to do what's right by Yah. And I think that's what our story should be, you know, because just like how you was explaining before we got on, I don't know if you want to tell the people or not about your experience coming from the Sunday church and the Adventism and then how you even came into the Hebrewism, you know. Yeah, well, see, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's about a religion as mm-hmm. I think it is about the covenant. Now, mm-hmm. he does have a church. Elohim does have a church. Mm-hmm. And I think his church is going to be composed of people from all different religions and, and uh, uh, denominations. Mm-hmm. But, but he's calling them out of religions and denominations He's calling them out to his church. See, he does have a church, but he does not have a religion. Uh-huh. And so when we look through the Bible, who is his church? Well, it is to call out followers who are following his, his covenant. Uh-huh. 
And mm -hmm. so what we are seeing today is a movement that, that all around the world, what do you see? When you see our people over in China, they have black people in China, but they are being ostracized. Uh -huh. You go over to Paris, black people are being ostracized. You go to various places, even in the United States, what do you see? Black people being criticized and in a bruise. So what, what does that tell you? Why, out of all ethnicities, the Spanish people and the black people are being ostracized more so than anybody else? Uh -huh. Wouldn't that suggest to you that you are part of his church? Uh -huh. And because you're part of his church, in these last days, he's trying to call us back together. And so as we as we look at that, we're not looking at churches and denominations and stuff like that. Uh -huh. We're trying to get rid of that. We're trying to look at what is his covenant with us. Yeah. And if we can follow his covenant. See, because when I look back, it is not about me leaving churches. Uh -huh. That's that's not what it's about, really. What it's, what it's about is, is that when I start following the truth, then the churches, they are leaving me. Mm, wow. You know, I'm not leaving the church. The church is leaving me because wow. I'm saying I'm trying to follow Yeshua, but y'all won't let me follow him because of these traditions. Yeah. So so that's that's where I am. I'm not church jumping. I'm simply saying I want to follow his covenant. And if I follow his covenant, the church saying, well, you can't follow me because you don't line up to what we teach. But I'm saying, but your teachings is not lined with the Bible. Yeah. Don't give me no Christmas and Easter and that you can eat anything because the Bible has a dress code. The Bible have a dietary code and the Bible have its own holy feast days. And if y'all not following that, I'm not leaving you. You have left your, your whore. You mm. have left his covenant. But, you know, it's funny because a lot of these people who say that you should be keeping Christmas, the Easter's, you can eat anything you want and everything. They are the same people that will say in the pulpit, Yah is an unchanging Elohim. And I'm like, if he's an unchanging Elohim, where in scripture is all of this and mm -hmm. everything? If he's unchanged, that means none of that stuff has changed. His day hasn't changed of worship. His diet hasn't changed. None of that. His covenant hasn't changed. Right. But they would swear up and down that Yah is unchanging, but it's okay to do all that what they're doing, huh? which is ridiculous to me. Um, we have a question, and it reads, So does that mean that the translators of the Bible may have used the words create and made incorrectly? Uh, well, let me, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, a lot of your translations, uh, is one thing. Okay. Your mm -hmm. translation is one thing. Uh, but remember a trans, uh, a translator is simply trying to translate it into the English or the German or whatever language you speak so you can understand it. But see, when you deal with create, you're not just dealing with the translation, mm -hmm. but you're dealing with the understanding of the word itself. Okay, now, without uh, getting too far ahead of our studies, uh, we will be getting to the true meaning. See, we're getting, we dealing with the, uh, the critical creation uh, concept, which is very erroneous, but we're dealing with it like it's a fact. 
but we we will eventually and it per, perhaps next week we'll be getting into the true meaning if 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 in what we are doing allows us to get into it we'll get into the true meaning of what create means and then once we get into the true meaning of what create means then we we will see the distinction between the word create and made because okay. both of them have two different hebrew words two different hebrew words and if you want to do some studying you can study uh, in a concordance and look up the, the meaning of these two words create and uh, and, and make and you'll see what the two Hebrew words are, okay. and then you can make a distinction. But but right, but right, right now, uh, a translation uh, is not the only thing we're dealing with. We are dealing with the interpretation. See, it's mostly the interpretation that we have about the word create, because I have talked to scholars, and I have talked to people that casually read the Bible, but once you mean, mention that word create, the first mm -hmm. thing they tell you, that means out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I heard some of the most prominent preachers who who preach in depth come out with the same situation. I'm saying, I'm not sure how they see this word from its true meaning. So that's something that we'll be dealing with as we deal with these discourses. But there is a difference between create and make. But, you know, um, just thinking about life now, nothing is made from nothing and then when even when you met having math nothing from nothing is nothing so to have create something in this life you have to have something already existing in order to make something it's like a computer a computer was created but it was created from different elements that were already here yeah, and when you take Einstein's theory, Einstein says matter can neither be made or destroyed. Mm. What does that tell you? Okay, that's uh, what Einstein. Okay. One of your greatest scientists out there is saying this. So yeah. are we saying that science is wrong and the Bible is right, or, or the Bible is wrong and he's right, or is he wrong and the Bible right? Yeah. And as we continue with theory, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find out it may be a lot of credence in what Einstein is saying. Because when you boil it down, does creation mean something from nothing, or does it mean that he organized matter and destruction means to take matter apart? Mm. See, it's a lot of people look at creation as something coming from nothing, but is it actually organizing matter? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about destruction, you're taking apart matter. Okay, because because Einstein said you can neither create it nor destroy it. Mm. So we have to look at that concept in science, but we also have to also look at the concept of creation from the biblical standpoint. Or what was going on in Moses' mind when he wrote that? What did Elohim inspire him? Why did he inspire him to write that word create? And we're gonna find that from that word create, that it altogether different from what the scholars and the teachers and the clergy is saying it's altogether different. Mm. You know, b because, you know, it's interesting that you talk about destroy because can anything truly naturally be destroyed? It just returns back into the form it was originally in. Mm -hmm. just That's like what destruction when I, is. When it's I think, take apart. 
Yeah. When I think about Sodom and Gomorrah, when Yah destroyed, he just basically returned a lot of those things to the existing matter that they was originally formed in. Mm-hmm. And all. Yeah, but once once we understand about matter, we're going to understand the concept that I believe will even strengthen our faith more so than creating something out of nothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to discover something that will really strengthen our faith. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we close out this podcast for this week? Our loving Father, we enjoyed this Sabbath, O Heavenly Father, and we enjoyed the comments which have come in and the reason why scriptures are so important to each one of us. And as we share these thoughts, it can inspire us, O Heavenly Father, to a greater life. And we thank you for the comments and the different views, Lord, which has come in and the questions that have caused us to think. And as we continue, O Heavenly Father, to study the scriptures, that they may mean more and more to us. For when Yeshua was on earth, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So when we read the scriptures, we read about Yeshua. And when we read about him, and to see him in every phase of the scriptures, it makes the scriptures more personal. And we want to get into them day by day to be able to see what Yeshua has to say to us. So now, Father, as we close this segment of the of the service on the Shabbat, that as we continue to go through it, that you would continue to give us the blessings that we need. Continue to all heaven the Father to be with us as we make a transition tomorrow at three o'clock that close out the feast of Sukkot, that we may understand the science of Sukkot and to be able to follow the principles therein, that we may get to the place that you would have us to be. And when you do come, we can look forward to that greater feast of Sukkoth when we will dwell not only with one another, but also with the Lamb and with your Father and with all of the holy angels and the redeemed of the ages, that when we have that holy, sacred Sukkoth, we can look back, O Heavenly Father, and see where you have brought us from and continue to give your name the glory the power, and the honor throughout eternity, world without end. So bless us to this end and do for us that which is needed. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for your participation today and uh, your comments. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, your interaction. Also, as the pastor just said in his prayer, remember tomorrow, We're coming back at 3 p.m. again as we close out the Feast of Tabernacles. So make sure you join us tomorrow as we close out the Feast of Tabernacles for this year at 3 p.m. And as always, if you have any questions or comments as this podcast getting ready to sign off, it may be a question that pops into your head uh, and you're like, oh, I need a didn't ask it. Well, just shoot us an email at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com and we're going to get to it on our next weekly Shabbat podcast. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahuwah to talk, to walk after Yahuwah and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant, which are written in this book. Second Chronicles 34 one until tomorrow at 3 p.m. Shalom.